We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pro-America Report. This is Ryan Height filling in today, yet again here for Mr. Ed Martin. I'm going to close out the week, and uh, we've got a good show ahead of us. Really good show. Always uh, have good guests, but I'm looking forward to today's uh, in particular, and uh, it's going to be a good one. But I'm glad to be here with you, glad to be taking part in this uh, wonderful Pro-America Report family. Uh, Before we get any further, let me go ahead and remind you, go to ProAmericaReport.com. That's ProAmericaReport.com. You can also head over to phyllisschlafly.com at those places you will find as we say every day so i hope you're doing it the podcasts and standalone segments you'll get all the audio from these wonderful uh, segments that we do here on the pro america report uh, you will also find the uh links and the resources and all of the things that we post on social media if an author has a book or something uh, similar uh, writing or column or anything like that it's going to be over there and you're not going to want to miss it because there are a lot of good things that you will want to send to your friends and family, co-workers, as you have these discussions, which we hope that you are uh, having after we have this show. A lot of good topics get covered here. So uh, we'll uh, dive into it. The uh, the news that I wanted to bring to you today, the wink, the what you need to know, uh, is actually something we've talked about. It goes off into a couple of different directions, but I'm going to pull them together here uh, because I think that this matters. It's worth saying. It's worth reminding, uh, even if we have, in fact, talked about this once before or probably more than once. That's for sure. But uh, here's here's here it is. Here's the wink. What you need to know is your dollars are part of your free speech. And I think that we need to really take that to heart because we've seen some massive movements uh, in the economy of America uh, from uh, private and public schools to private uh, corporations. There have been some incredible movements of uh, two different versions, I should say, an agenda versus a response or two different versions of the direction we should go. And when consumers speak up through the use of their dollars, man, does it make a big deal. So here's what makes me say this. Here's what brings it up. We kind of talked about it uh, a little bit, but we didn't really go too, too far into it this week. Uh, You may have seen there were uh, multiple heads of different colleges, uh, Harvard, UPenn. uh, Oh, I forget the third one at the moment, but uh, college presidents came and testified before a congressional hearing this week on anti-Semitism on their campus and the response to it and uh, college university uh, protocol and rules around that and how it works. And, and of course, that's a whole issue that we could have is speech on campus. But here's here's what I'd like to draw down on. And this isn't even really getting into the Israel Hamas, into the anti-Semitic, uh, into free speech, into whatever it is. This this is we're going to kind of sidestep that. But this is, of course, the, the conversation that's coming. A huge huge donor for the University of Pennsylvania, his response to their president, Liz McGill's uh, testimony, and his very much unsatisfied (laughs) feeling after her response at how they were handling uh, the 
pro-Hamas and the anti-Israel and the anti-Jewish uh, sentiments on campus and how this behemoth of liberalism, as we now know, you know, Marxism, liberalists uh, or uh, leftists have completely taken over higher ed. At this point, that is one of their bastions of safety uh, for themselves. He was incredibly unhappy with her response and completely unsatisfied with the college's response, or the, I should say the university's response to this situation, and he decided to withdraw his donation. Now, that might not seem like a big deal, one person withdrawing their donation from this massive multi-billion dollar university. However, when that donor is... Uh, Mr. Ross Stevens, the founder and CEO of Stone Ridge Asset Management, and his donation he's withdrawing is for $100 million. That leaves a mark. That's a big ouch. And I tell you what, the, 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 in two days, this, this was what, Wednesday that these hearings happened? In two days, the University of Pennsylvania has lost 2% of their operating academic budget. And and I'm not just making this up here. I I went and looked it up. From the university themselves, their operating academic budget is just over $4 billion for the fiscal year 24. $100 million, about $4 billion. That's that's just over 2%. So in two days, with one person's decision, 2% of the college budget is gone. gone, 2% of their budget for the year. That's a big deal. When you start to think about the numbers of how different things work and and where it goes, and and this is what I like to, this is what I hearken back to. I feel like in the world of boycotts and in the world of being a consumer and deciding where you are or aren't going to spend your money, it's really hard. You know, we talk about giving your money to people who, who represent your values and don't give money to people who don't represent your values. It's hard to feel like you're making an impact. I mean, I feel the same way. This isn't me being preachy at other people. I feel the same way. It's it's really hard to look at it and say, well, does it really matter if I choose not to shop there? Are they going to really feel it? But then I've drastically changed my life, and has it just been anything, even a drop in the bucket to this giant corporation? Well, when enough of us make that decision and stick to it, change is definitely possible. And I, this is my opportunity to remind you when I say what you need to know is that we have, you know, you have to remember your dollars represent part of your speech. Your dollars are your speech in this uh, consumer economy. Or just let's all remember Bud Light for a moment. Uh, you know, we may not have necessarily uh, destroyed Anheuser-Busch or anything like that, but Bud Light took a hit this year because of their uh, uh, their as we've now found out very official they said it wasn't to begin with oh it wasn't an official marketing campaign their very official marketing campaign that they paid a lot of money for uh, with Dylan Mulvaney uh, the face of transgenderism or I should say one of the faces of transgenderism online uh, today who had a very lackluster uh, college appearance you may have seen this this week but that that's neither here nor there an empty room uh, for the primary uh, trans activist in America right now uh, that's a different topic but if you look at back at what happened Bud Light that section of of the company of AB InBev lost month over month over month they dropped massive percentage points I think it reached the 30s I, I should have looked this up before I hopped on but I'm pretty sure it, it, it crossed the th- almost or almost got to the 30 percent their their um, sales dropped thirty percent month over a uh, month over the course of this uh, this fiasco playing out. That's huge. I mean, that's that is 
company ending stuff here if, if that were their only product if the company were solely based on that and it weren't giant and diversified like it was we may have in fact seen um ab and bev you know contract significantly if not close up that's huge um and you'll look back across and see some of the same things the echoes of that have happened at target um and i think that that's about to happen at disney but this this you know upan story this week two percent they've lost two percent of their budget in two days because of one donor being extremely unhappy with the way that they're handling this situation. And it's a very political situation. Make no mistake. They are choosing a value uh, from the far uh, radical left narrative. They are choosing that agenda and it is now hurting their bottom line to a pretty tune. What if several others, maybe not every person that decides to withdraw their donation, it's a hundred million dollar donation, but what if several other people decided, you know what? I, I am done with these people. What if a lot of other people said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and pile in. It wasn't even the anti-Semitic stuff. I'm just sick of what you're doing. And I've decided that that's more important to me than my connection with, uh, you know, the University of Pennsylvania, if that's my alma mater or something like that. In fact, that's what this guy said at the very end. The the statement from uh, Mr. Ross Stevens attorneys uh, was to the effect of I love you know, the University of Pennsylvania. I think he said, I love Penn and it is important to me. There it is. But our firm's principles are more important. You know what? We may not be the $100 million donor to a certain university. We may not have the power to snap our fingers and change public funding, student loans, uh, and likewise, across the board, your one Disney Plus subscription may not make or break the giant world of uh, grooming extraordinaires that Disney has built. But it matters, and if we stick to it, and if more people get on board, and if more people stick to it, there are measurable and marked differences that can make or break some of these institutions that certainly need breaking. So this is my reminder that your dollars matter. Your dollars are part of your speech, and we have got to treat them as such. It's not convenience. It's not what I'd like to do. Well, I'd like to stop giving my money to Amazon and do more mom and pop stuff. I'd like to stop giving my money to Starbucks and buy more. Make the decision. What's more important to you? Are your principles more important or the convenience? Do your dollars matter to you as a, as a form of your speech? If they do, do something about it. Stick with it. It'll come up to other people. More people will make that decision. And guess what? Suddenly you find a Bud Light situation where someone's sales are tumbling and they realize we've gone down the wrong path. We're either going to close up or we're going to change. Uh, or you find a UPenn who's probably having some very <laughs> difficult conversations this week. 2% of their budget gone in two days. Uh, you know, that seems like a drop in the bucket when we're talking billions. But if uh, this happens one or two more times, they're in serious trouble. So there is the lesson for us. This is important. It matters. It is a value that we need to hold, and it is a path that we need to walk and stick to. Your dollars are a part of your speech. We need to treat them like that. Treat them like the sacred free speech that is recognized here in America. That's what you need to know today. Uh, and that's why you should go to the Pro-America Report website. Go over proamericareport.com, phyllisschlafly.com. Grab this segment, send it to someone, see what they think, and then don't forget to come back to the other side of the break here. After you go there, get the segment, sign up for the email, proamericareport.com. Come on right back here after the break. Got a couple of great guests, and we will continue with the show right back here on the Pro-America Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Very grateful to have a chance uh, to visit with our next guest. I think we had him scheduled maybe uh, twice because this topic is important for me to hear someone who really understands. Colonel Richard Kemp is a retired British Army commander, uh, really served all over the world, uh, particularly in uh, well-known in Afghanistan, people would see in his uh, time in in uh, the military, but also in in uh, in uh, various parts of the world, Africa, and, and uh, uh, also served. Uh, politically, in, or at least in the sense that he was in in London and, and played a role at that level. So uh, first of all, Colonel, welcome to the program. How are you, sir? I'm um, very well, thank you. And it's a real pleasure to join you and your listeners. Thank you. Um, I was um, interested, uh, yeah, your career span from 1977 all the way to 2006. I I, I was interested, I got sent a message by one of your team about you you commenting on the situation with hostages and, you know, for a British army commander, you've dealt with uh, over the, those decades, all kinds of situation, terrorism, all kinds of uh, full out blown wars. Um, and your, your take on this uh, Hamas, I'm particularly interested in this, that Hamas by asking for a pause to exchange hostages changed how <coughs> the world could view them. And I, I think that's real. So tell me your thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'd say is that this is an incredibly tough situation for Israel. I'm in Israel now uh, and have been since the war began. Wow. Um, and and, and I've, 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 I, when I was working, you mentioned when I was working in the British government, I was involved in a number of hostage rescue situations myself, rescuing or attempting to rescue um, British citizens who have been kidnapped in Afghanistan and in Iraq by terrorists there. Um, and and just kind of an illustration of how tough this is is that we, I think I was involved in something like eight to ten something like that hostage rescue missions, and these were with some of the best special forces in the world, the British SAS and the British Special Boat Service as well, um, uh, working sometimes with our American special forces colleagues, and even with that quality of special forces, rarely did these missions succeed. They only involved normally maybe one, two people in each case, but rarely did this succeed. So when we're talking about the very large number of hostages held in Gaza, it's a hugely challenging situation. As far as the uh, the political perspective is concerned, I think one of the, obviously one of the reasons, the main reason, possibly the only reason Hamas pushed for the hostage release and ceasefire was to buy themselves breathing space because they were being, and still are now being, heavily hammered by the the Israeli defense force and and rightly too um and and they what they needed they needed time and 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 they hoped i think eventually that the ceasefire for hostage rescue would or for hostage release rather would um would become permanent because they know the only way they will survive is if the IDF does not continue attacking them uh, and 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 part of it is the point you're making which is if they're seen to have released hostages if they're seen to not only that, but they stage managed it so that the hostages appeared to TV cameras uh, filming them or to cameras filming them, that they were on friendly terms with the hostages, which, of course, is far from the truth. They forced the hostages to behave like that. So they would be seen as a, a more human, humanitarian, shall we say, organization, which people could be more sympathetic towards. And I think that was the goal. And I think it probably succeeded to some extent. 
Well, we're talking, our guest is uh, retired Colonel Richard Kemp, uh, a former British Army commander, experienced from the late 1970s all the way to 2006 in the, in the British Army, and then uh, experience in politics at the highest level, or maybe, um, say, public policy and, and engaging uh, government uh, affairs or government uh, operations, too, after that. Uh, so you pointed out, I mean, it, it's an impossible situation. That's why uh, hostages are so bad. If you're, if you're the Israelis, you know you have to try to save your people. Um, but on the other hand, you're saying to yourselves, we have have a we have a set of of military uh priorities and that's the one thing again and something that i was sent that you maybe a comment you made uh publicly nothing about this ceasefire or hostage exchange it will change or or maybe should change the idf or israel's uh focus in other words they cannot i think this is what they've said publicly they cannot allow uh hamas to exist in, it, it can't work anymore. If you thought it could work in the past, October 7th for Israel proved they couldn't. And, and they will not stop until they achieve that military goal. The question I have for you is, and we watch it in America, and, and a lot of people blame TikTok or blame different things, but uh, an awful lot of uh, choppiness has come into the public sentiment. And, and you, you're the military leader, but you can explain that, uh, you know, in, in modern era, in the modern era, you've got to hold the hearts and minds. And I don't think the Israeli people are saying go light on them, but the world is, is, uh, is being uh, buffeted. It, can, can you envision a scenario where, you know, okay, we got through this ceasefire. We're not going to do that again because we can't deal with the international pressure yeah it's 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 extremely problematic for israel and uh, we've had pressure from the united states administration on israel to 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 basically to try and persuade them to make the ceasefire permanent to extend it until it sort of no longer until it uh, just continues indefinitely and also from the british government another even more so from the french so we've seen we've seen this pressure building and, and you know president biden on the one hand is saying i fully support Israel's defense, Hamas should be destroyed. On the other hand, he's saying to them, stop doing it. He's, he's, he's really talking with two faces, I think, in this conflict. And, and, and the sort of thing that uh, is very, I, 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 it makes me quite angry. I'm not Jewish, I'm not Israeli, but, but I know that uh, Israel is a very close ally for the UK and for the US and extremely important to us. And their democracy and freedom and, and ability to live without this threat is extremely important. Um, but when when you hear the likes of President Biden or our Prime Minister Sunak saying, I've I've reminded the Israelis that they must adhere to the laws of armed conflict, they must minimize the civilians they're killing. And by saying that, they're implying that Israel is not doing so. And people people pick up on that. Whereas the reality is Israel does everything it can to minimize civilian casualties and is more effective at doing that than most of our armies are. So it's this this kind of pressure is is a huge problem, and 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 I think you know that period of the ceasefire. Obviously, no one wants to see civilians die in Gaza. Everybody, every decent person wants to see the hostages released. But the period of the ceasefire brought big problems for Israel as well. Apart from allowing Hamas to to regroup and and get some breathing space, it also potentially risked the, the war just petering out and Hamas left intact to continue threatening Israel as it did before. Yeah, it is. It, it's the problem of uh, it's the problem of these kinds of 
uh, uh, this kind of situation with hostages and also terrorism and, and uh, um, um, it is really difficult. Um, Colonel Richard Kemp is our guest, uh, served a long time career in the military as well as then uh, in government, the highest levels. I just have a couple minutes left. I want to ask you about your experience as a as a, um, a colonel and as a leader then, because I saw a comment you made, which uh, my old boss, the late Phyllis Schlafly, used to speak about the International Criminal Court and one of the great threats of the International Criminal Court in her mind, which, you know, the Europeans, uh, European Union and others will say we need to have this great international criminal court was the military and that they would target American military and they would say, hey, you know, we're going to now hold you accountable to our criminal law uh, court in another part of the world. You've spoken on that. I, how, how big a problem is that sort of because you're, you're hearing echoes of that in this situation where people are saying, oh, the Israelis should be held uh, to, I mean, I think they concede, or maybe we all can concede the Hamas are murderous terrorists, but then they move on and say, oh, Israel could be held accountable. This problem of extra uh, sovereign uh, criminal courts and courts, uh, uh, when it comes to military superiority, the doctrine of of being strong and succeeding, it's a a big problem out there, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely it is. And Britain made the big mistake of signing up to the International Criminal Court. The United States had more sense than to do that, and quite rightly, in my view. Um, because guess who the ICC turn on? Guess who their three <laughs> three of their most important targets are for prosecution? The United States, Great Britain, and Israel. And they've tried to bring prosecutions against all three countries, even though the US and Israel are not party to the International Criminal Court. Right. The, the ICC exists to... To, 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 to deal with uh, war criminals effectively who, um, whose own countries either refuse to uh, right. prosecute them or don't have the capability. That doesn't apply to Israel, the US or the UK. But nevertheless, it's Israel, US and the UK that are being targeted by these courts. And it's so predictable. It's so predictable yeah. because, the, you know, and it's the same with the United Nations. The United Nations always looks to, <laughs> right. to to have a jab at our countries and not real real yeah. human rights offenders. Yeah. It's true. Well, unfortunately, I'm out of time. Colonel, thank you very much. I was, I'm was grateful you were suggested for us to speak to uh, Colonel Richard Kemp, retired uh, military leader in uh, Britain, in the UK, who is now also active in the world affairs and is right now in Israel. Uh, thank you for your perspective. We have to take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. I'll put a link up on uh, social media and be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our old friend, and I can say that now, Vijay Raj, is. Uh, uh, we, he and I have had uh, meals together when he came to the United States and lectured, and uh, we stay in touch. The, the world is a small place. We're able to stay in touch easily uh, through uh, WhatsApp and, uh, and texting. And he has um, is from India originally, is now living right now in Scotland, but is a... Uh, a research associate and uh, works over at uh, our friends at the CO2 Coalition. Uh, he's a research associate there, CO2Coalition.org. He himself uh, is a scientist, uh, environmental sciences, uh, a master's degree uh, studying in England, a prolific writer, and has two pieces. He texted me or WhatsApp me a couple links, uh, one running in the Washington Times uh, and another, I forget now, oh, in uh, Daily Caller. And so uh, welcome back, BJ. How are you? Thanks, Ed. Great to be on your show. And yes, I'm good. Uh, so um, first, 
what is happening um, with this uh, uh, COP conference? We see a lot of coverage of it. What's your impressions? Um, what are your thoughts? What should we be taking away from this? I mean, the one thing that people can take away from the COP meetings, uh, which is the short form for conference of parties, yep. it's literally a United Nations annual climate meeting. Uh, so it's it's the same story has been happening year after year. Uh, you have big economies, uh, countries that have huge energy demand, which can be met only with fossil fuels, but uh, they just sit in these uh, climate meetings and conferences all over the world where you have a huge uh, coalition of Western uh, uh, leadership and politicians who want these countries to forgo their fossil use, but then they are unable to do so. So it's just uh, virtue signaling and just uh, a lot of diplomacy and a lot of activism per se, but but not nothing much happens there except like, you know, uh, some kind of uh, euphoria and and uh, news about yeah. uh, the world transitioning away from fossil fuels, but uh, they uh, fail to recognize what's happening in in big economies of our world. Um, we're talking with Vijay Raj again, uh, a research associate over the CO two coalition, CO two coalition uh, dot uh, org. Uh, actually, did I get that right? So, yes, dot org. Um, uh, you have a piece running over the Washington Times, Economic, economic Progress and Fossil Fuels, the Elephant in the Room, uh, referring to this conference where everyone's gathered and having, as you say, virtue signaling each other. Uh, but it, economic progress and fossil fuels is the real question. Um, what is your point here in this piece? And what, um, again, what should we be really focusing on while all these virtue signalers are gathered? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the history of economic development, you will see that the West uh, Europe and North America, uh, the industrial era helped them to achieve the economic success and the fruits of economic success that they are enjoying today. And uh, the argument is that, well, we can do the same with the renewable using renewable energy, uh, but that's not the case. So a lot of developing economies, especially the big ones like India, China and others, uh, they depend on fossil fuels, just like the West did earlier. And uh, that's because in uh, uh, energy intensive industries, they need a uh, high base load and they need more than just electricity and you need coal, oil and gas for that. And these cannot be met with intermittent sources like wind and solar. So that's, that's the crux of the matter here. Uh, we are dealing with high energy demand and you need that demand to create sustained economic growth. Uh, we're again, BJ Raj, our guest. He's a research associate over at the CO2 Coalition, CO2Coalition.org. You can see his writings there, as well as a lot more. Our friend Gregory Wrightstone is the executive director there. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you saw it where you are over in Scotland, I think, right now. Um, the John Kerry, who is the uh, uh, a climate czar for Joe Biden, President Biden, um, got a, a bunch of attention here for for I think the phrase he used was He's going to get more militaristic or he's going to get radical in pursuit. Nobody believes him because, as you you pointed out in another piece that you wrote at Daily Caller, you know, he jets in on his uh, on his private jet. You know, the, the Brits, the Brits came in. David Cameron came in on his private jet and the, and the uh, prime minister came on his private jet. And I mean, it, they, they're not serious, but got a lot of attention. And um, I guess, you know, with uh, Vijay, with the um, hysteria that's generated by the media. 
it does work on some people, right? It, and mostly young people, I think, and and dumb people. But it, there is a problem of the of the way people feel about these questions because of how the coverage has happened. I mean, that is a problem, right? Yeah, that is a problem. Like it's it's the case with anything, any public policy, and any anything that's uh, you know to do with truth. So when you are bombarded uh, with a lot of information, that's uh, you know, fine-tuned in a certain way to brainwash people, then it takes center stage. And when you have the backing of uh, huge uh, politicians with a lot of uh, funding, then it's quite difficult to help people understand that they are being portrayed a false sense of reality. And that's what has been happening. And it's not just the politicians. You also have climate activists who have flown to Dubai in, in, in commercial airlines from all across the world, emitting huge amounts of carbon dioxide. Uh, but they just keep on defending their own emissions and personal private jet use while asking, you know, some poor per person in Africa or South America to let go of their dream of having a car because it emits carbon dioxide. So that's the hypocrisy, level of hypocrisy. And that's the kind of, you know, mass uh, hysteria that they, we are dealing with. Uh, BJ Raj again is our guest, a research associate over at the uh, coalition, the CO2 coalition. Uh, I noticed that Poland, who is having a shift in uh, their parliament, new prime minister, um, has embraced or talked about embracing wind. They want more wind there. Um, and I don't think anyone that's serious thinks wind is a solution, uh, wind power. But I do think some people think that uh, nuclear can be uh, a piece of it. Are you seeing that uh, in the world, Vijay, in terms of the idea that there are other sources? I mean, ultimately, right now, fossil fuels are the most efficient, the most effective, the most valuable. Uh, but is the nuclear movement real? Yeah, yeah. Nuclear is, is uh, an amazing source of energy. It's just that it takes a time, uh, a while, and a lot of lot of uh, money uh, to build uh, safe and sound nuclear reactors. So, uh, of course, at the end of the day, you need energy that's affordable and reliable. And if you leave out fossil fuels, and the only option there is nuclear, because all the alternative systems like hydrogen, wind, and solar are com uh, completely unreliable. At least with hydrogen, we are not sure yet how much uh, it can help us. So, but when, with wind, for, for instance, uh, there was a cold wave in Europe and uh, like recently, in, a week ago. And for instance, in UK, uh, the contribution from wind was just around 3% uh, to, the, to the electricity grid right. of the entire UK. And the country had to rely on gas yeah. uh, for around 50% of its electricity need. Now, uh, on, on a good day, when wind is uh, high, you get 50% electricity from wind. But on the day when it mattered most, when people are freezing in their homes, uh, wind was just at 3%. So that's the kind of energy uh, system that we are dealing with. Uh, and I'm not sure people are aware of this and need, they need to be sensitized about this. Is the um, is the so when you see the virtue signaling of the of the of the COP meeting and uh, and the UN and all, as you mentioned, it doesn't it's not really doing anything, but it is doing something right. I guess one thing it's doing is continuing the the um, perception. But I, I, I mean, are you worried about uh, the, the the ongoing? I mean, America, the, the Joe Biden administration has massive spending uh, on on all this green stuff that doesn't work. I mean, they, these 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 people are trying to do wealth transfer for stuff that doesn't work, right? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, citizens of every country must be genuinely concerned about what's happening at COP because when John uh, John Kerry uh, uh, means that he's going to be more rad- radical about this, what he means is that he he and and all his associate they'll be uh, enforcing more and more pressure upon all the political leaders across the globe to embrace policies that are very detrimental uh, to the energy security of individual countries. And that's what people have to be aware of. So it's not just uh, uh, brash talking uh, or or speaking on a live television, but rather what they are doing with the policies. And those policies are aimed at reducing energy consumption. And that's not good for any economy. It's uh, it is um, a, a amazing time, and uh, I'm glad. I'm really gr- grateful to the CO2 Coalition. Vijay uh, uh, Raj, our guest, a research associate there, and they have him uh, writing and uh, and out there with his voice. Uh, thank you, as always, uh, for your time. We'll have you back on again very soon. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Ed. Uh, we will take a break. You're welcome. We will take a break. I'll put up a link to his two columns recently, uh, uh, The Daily Caller, uh, one I think I referred to by name, and also, of course, over the Washington Times. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a minute. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. In a world where the biggest icon for unmarried women is the childless 34-year-old Taylor Swift, It's time to take a look at America's awful birth rate statistics and the implication these statistics will have on the American woman. While the numbers look bad for both men and women, women are more at risk by delaying marriage and family. After all, a man's fertility doesn't begin falling at age 30, but every young woman should be warned how much more difficult it becomes to have children as she moves through her 30s. Taylor Swift won't need children to support her financially in her old age due to her massive fortune. But the future of our nation and of the Swifties, as her followers are called, is less rosy in our increasingly childless society. The percentage of women under 45 having children has fallen to barely half today. Childless young adults will eventually become an elderly population dependent on public support. But Social Security works only if there are enough young workers to fund the system on a continuing basis. Our nation already has a record number of women and men who are single in the 18 to 29 age group, 34% of women and 63% of men. Many of them have given up on seeking a relationship. This isolation is not healthy for our society or for young women. Meanwhile, the number of men who have no close friendships has increased fivefold in the last 30 years to 15%. The hordes of young men and women who are unmarried today are having difficulty finding partners who share their political views, while Democrat politicians play gender gap politics for their benefit. Married women typically vote Republican, as married men do. But single women vote overwhelmingly for the Democrat candidates, in part because Democrats spend billions of dollars advertising to them. Democrats have a vested interest in keeping single women single. But we need to shut down their attempts to stymie young women from the fulfillment that only a family can bring. 
This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The traditional family is the building block of our communities and country. That's why it's imperative to support strong marriages, respect fathers, and champion stay-at-home moms. At phyllisschlafly.com, we oppose the liberal attempt to redefine the family. To join us, visit phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Hey, welcome back to the Pro-America Report. This is Ryan Height filling in here. Going to wrap up the show. Glad to be with you today. Glad to share some of this. We have a couple great interviews there. And I'm glad that I could step in and fill in for Ed here at the end of the program. Uh, And I've got a couple of things that I wanted to note uh, for you. First of all, before we get into that, let me remind you, ProAmericaReport.com. There you can sign up for the email list. Get the wink every morning to your inbox. Nice and short, really uh, um, helpful uh, information for your day. And then also, you can pick up the podcast, you can pick up the standalone segments of our guests and all the links and resources to them. Go over there, do it right now. Trust me, you won't regret it, and you'll have some information you can spread to friends, family, coworkers, and instigate some good discussions, just like the ones we're having here on the show. But uh, let me let me bring this back. I wanted to wrap something up and kind of tie it together for you. We, we see the, oh man, Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden, Hunter, Hunter, Hunter. It's all over the news. I feel like we're seeing news this way and that, and it all is, is so incomplete and often just, you know, it's a campaign tactic and we're moving one way or the other. I'm I'm not excusing anything he's done. I'm just saying the the reporting on it seems chaotic. So sometimes it, you just got to stop and kind of look and say, what's going on? What's actually happened? Why am I seeing this Hunter Biden name in the news yet again? Because I already know he's kind of a seems to be a little bit of a dirtbag, shady guy, and his dad's covering for him, and his dad's the president. And man, we should maybe deal with it. You know, you think all these things, but here, here's a here's a doozy. Here's a new doozy. Yesterday, Hunter Biden, remember now the president of the United States, his son Hunter Biden, and notice I didn't say. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. and and Donald Trump, Uh, President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, he was indicted yesterday in California on a ton of tax charges, lots of tax charges. In in fact, these are public documents. We're not just going off of reports. But apparently he has skipped out on $200,000 of income tax uh, in one year alone. And indictments are coming down the pike for him, a federal grand jury in Los Angeles. Um, these folks are, are having no choice. They have to indict him. Uh, and you'll remember, this is two months ago in October. He actually pled not guilty, but there are federal gun charges going on uh, in the District Court of Delaware uh, from years-long investigation that's happening there. This stuff is just piling on and piling on. Uh, all the while, Hunter Biden is ignoring subpoenas from Congress to come and talk about some of these things. And, and we're not even scratching the surface of some of the foreign dealings for crying out loud. And what this strikes me, it's just when you kind of dive in and actually look again, this is my encouragement to you. You see the name Hunter Biden or anything like that. You see the topics that we keep seeing in the news. Uh, Don't just get used to the noise of it all. Take a moment and kind of reorient yourself and remind yourself, where where are we? What actually has happened recently? What developments have been going on? And that's one of the reasons you come here to the Pro-America Report. We try to break it all down for you and give you what you need to know in the mix of this, this chaos of the news, uh, whether it's the right-wing news actually trying to report the truth or the left-wing news covering it up with the agenda narrative that they have, uh, we're going to do our best to always bring it to you. But just take a pause for a moment and look at it, and you'll start to realize just how interesting it is. The more of this stuff, legitimate problems coming out of places like Los Angeles, for no less. I mean, you could probably couldn't get a, a, a Republican a fair trial out there, yet a grand jury's indicting Hunter Biden. You know it's bad. The evidence is overwhelming. At least that's my assumption. I obviously wasn't in the room. But if you see stuff like that going on, it's like it's 
just so ridiculous and hilarious that we are piling on felonies over phone calls and and draft letters to Trump and his people like like Jeff Clark and Sidney Powell and the others. It, it is such a ridiculous double standard. And not only that, it really starts to formulate in your mind. You get the understanding of exactly what's being done here, what the establishment, the deep state, the the um, elites, whatever name you want to ascribe to them, what the deep state's doing, what this administrative state, this bureaucratic permanent government that runs across all the party lines, it seems, and into the uh, elites that like to enrich and uh, accumulate influence and power to themselves. What they're doing is covering for their buddies and trying to shut up the people who are against them. That's just that's the bottom line of it all. And this is a good reminder to look back and say, man, it really isn't far fetched to defend Donald Trump, uh, even simply on the line that look what they're doing to him. They're doing it on purpose. I mean, it's so blatantly obvious. It's almost like every time a Hunter Biden bad news story comes down the pike, another Trump indictment. Bam. Bam, there's another one. Bam, there's another one. They are timed so conveniently that it's not convenient anymore. It's conspicuous. That's what it is. And that's how we ought to treat it. So let us not forget, uh, in the midst of this Hunter Biden news, to get back in and drill down on what exactly is happening. And you'll see it just it's absolutely incredible. All of the <laughs> all of the corruption and the pay to play and the tax fraud and cheat and everything that they would love, that the left would love to be true about Donald Trump and his family and the Trump organization empire is true. It's coming true about the Biden family, but they're not turning and looking at it. They're not recognizing it. And this is by no means a, you know, well, you're going to call out my guy. So we got to all turn around. Oh, but look at Joe Biden. No, I am for routing out corruption. I am for throwing those people out of office and maybe throwing a few of them in jail. And guess what? I'm for that. And I am for the truth. And the truth is, Every single thing from the Russia hoax to now has been a giant nothing burger on Donald Trump and his family. It has been nothing but a political hit job. By all accounts, that's what it is. That's what it looks like. That's what it is. And all of the accumulation of this just mountain of evidence piling up against the Biden family, which I think at this point is we can all agree absolutely named the Biden crime family. It's all just there. And yet what we're allowing the news to just ignore it we're allowing public figures to just ignore it nope we can't we absolutely cannot if we are ever going to regain control of this representative government this this uh parts these institutions of our republic we have got to speak loudly and clearly about what we will and will not tolerate demand that this is taken care of. Jim Comer cannot be the only one in Congress who is marching down this path of demanding justice and the light of transparency come on to the Biden family or any other family that high in American politics. We have all got to do it. We've got to speak up and we've got to get more to speak up. So there's a little wrap up today, a little bit of an update on Hunter and uh, what's going on with that and some of the specifics. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for being here as our listener. Um, As always, I'm grateful to Ed, our host, for uh, keeping it going, to Mason, my co-producer, for helping me keep all of the technicalities running, and to you for listening. We appreciate you, and we'll see you back here tomorrow on the show on the Pro-America Report. Have a good night, everybody.